Hi everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Dan Pardo and this is Pardo's Turn, my weekly Wednesday web series where I analyze a classic show tune from a music director's point of view and with the help of a special guest, perhaps shed some light on what makes the gems of our musical theater canon so great. I have been on a hiatus during the last month, deep in rehearsals for my new off-Broadway show, I Spy a Spy, playing now through September 21st at St. Clement's on 46th Street. So thank you for your patience, but now that we're open, please step by and see us. I am so excited to kick off season two with a very talented tenor, my friend Jeff Creedy, who is currently Santino Fontana's standby in Tootsie on Broadway. He was also in the original Broadway companies of Billy Elliot and A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, as well as the revivals of Sunday in the Park with George and the 2006 revival of Les Mis, where he met his equally impressive wife, Nikki Renee Daniels. I met this Broadway power couple back in 2012 when Jeff starred alongside two of my previous Pardo's Turn guests, James Snyder and Jen Gambates, as Enoch Snow in Goodspeed's acclaimed production of Carousel. Today, we are going to explore a song from another Golden Age classic, Almost Like Being in Love, from Brigadoon, with lyrics by Alan J. Lerner and music by Frederick Lowe. Most of Brigadoon's gorgeous score is entrenched in the fabric or shall I say tartan, of traditional Scottish music, with folk-inspired melodies, an orchestration packed with flutes, reeds, and field drums, and lyrics heavily inflected with the fine Scottish brogue. But this ubiquitous track, sung primarily by the character Tommy Albright, one of two New York transplants who stumbles upon this once-in-a-hundred-year highland, seems much more like the late 40s jazz standards that often made their way from the Broadway stage to the radio than, say, I'll Go Home with Bonnie Jean, or waiting for my dearie. Apart from the original stage and movie renditions by David Brooks and Gene Kelly, respectively, Almost Like Being in Love was famously recorded by Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole, with other notable covers by Shirley Bassey, Mildred Bailey, Mary Martin, Michael J. Johnson, Judy Garland, and Bradley Walsh. Even Woody Allen, yes, that Woody Allen, sang a refrain with a slightly altered lyric in the DreamWorks animated film, Ants. There's a smile on my face for the whole insect race why it's almost like being in love the brief verse which is almost always omitted for these pop or jazz renditions does let us know we're in scotland with a melody that utilizes a lot of open fourths and fifths like bugle calls from the hunting trip that launched tommy on this journey with a muscular voice the tune is quickly sung in two keys jumping up a perfect fourth from f to b flat after the first phrase showing off both his bravado and wide vocal range. But what it does even more is set up a strong contrast with what's to follow, a sweet and playful almost love duet that's as old as musical theater itself. Make Believe from Showboat, People Will Say We're In Love from Oklahoma, I'm Not At All In Love from The Pajama Game, Almost Like Being In Love is yet another song to add to our list that suggests how our characters feel romantically without saying it outright. And similar to If I Loved You, the artifice in this song is held together by a single word. Almost. Musically, Lerner and Lowe cleverly set the word on beat two after an unexpected rest on the downbeat. Almost like being in love this hesitation gives Tommy the distance to at least claim that he's not there yet. 
Harmonically, the music follows what we call a circle of fifths progression, which functions like a musical detour on its way back to the tonic. But inevitably, it leads us there, fittingly on the word love itself. In a burst of passion, the middle eight briefly flirts with the submediant key of G, but then it pivots back to B-flat through the use of the repeated D natural, which is prevalent in both keys. And so forth. For the next repetition of the song form, the feel and meter goes from a somewhat jaunty two to a relaxed four, allowing for some especially playful counter-melodies in the orchestration and a new treatment of the title hook. Rather than delaying the downbeat, almost is set even further back on beat three, with quarter note triplets, which sounds like Fiona is teasing him for getting all mushy. Almost like being in love. Tommy gets to return the spar with a triplet of his own before the song returns to its original tempo and meter, but not much before it modulates up all the way to D major. The final chorus is triumphant and exuberant, sending the singers to the top of their vocal ranges, the climax circles around itself in repetition and lands the word almost squarely on the downbeat together. At that point, there's no doubt or delay. It's surely like being in love. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm great. Thanks Thank for having oh, me. Oh, this is yeah. such an honor. You've been on my list for a long time. And, you know, I've already had Jen Gambatis on, and uh, James was James. here in episode four early on. Is it my imagination, or was that group just something special? No, that was a special group. We had so much fun doing that show, and I think the production was beautiful, mm -hmm. and I, I look back on it so fondly as one of my favorite projects to work on. Yeah. I've done a million shows, you've done a million yeah. shows. You know, casts like that don't stick around in the yeah. same way that it yeah. did for that particular project. Um, to be in regular contact with people like that you did a show with six years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, six years ago. Yeah, nice. was, I think all five of us reconnected last year for the uh, Fine Bromance show that you did with Cali Sessions. Where you saved our backsides <laughs> uh, with about 24 hours notice. I felt so bad for with Paul Strobel, yeah, right? Paul Strobel, yeah. yeah. I just saw him conduct My Fair Lady, another Learner and Low show. Um, so, as I said, we're approaching another Learner and Low uh, song today. Uh, that was your choosing. You did it last year at Pittsburgh CLO. Pittsburgh, yeah. So, if I'm totally honest, I was not... When I got the job offer, it was like, okay, great, I can go do this job. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't something that I was necessarily excited about from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Just reading through the script and looking it over, I thought, okay, yeah, this will be this will be fine. Yeah. But I have to say, I got so attached to this material. Mm -hmm. um, as we often do as performers, you work on something and you get attached to it. But it was more so uh, for, for, for Brigadoon than for other projects I've worked on because... I guess in this day and age, we're also cynical. Mm -hmm. You know, we, this is the world we live in. I, yeah, sure. I am sometimes a cynical New Yorker, and to work not too often, <laughs> not too often, but you know, um, to work on a piece that didn't have an ounce of cynicism in it, mm -hmm. to perform something where the central message is love conquers all. Yeah, it was such a breath of fresh air, and and I have to say, I bought into it. Wholeheartedly, and it's great that the director of your piece. Uh, who's, who's the director? It was Dante Keen. Okay, um, you know, so often directors approach golden age material and feel like they need to kind of change the focus or impose some kind of vision on top of the material, yeah. and uh, it kind of gets away from what the authors were intending. It's um, it's also fascinating. Um, in Pittsburgh, yes, they at the end of the PCLO season they send out 
uh, a Q&A to the audience, everybody who's attended the show in the last year, and they ask, what shows would you like to see? And the number one requested show in Pittsburgh is Brigadoon, which is so odd because <laughs> it's not a show that is widely done. Is um, there like a Scottish I, population there? No, I think, I think what we were talking about is Gene Kelly did the movie, and mm -hmm. Gene Kelly's from Pittsburgh. Got it. And <laughs> so it's like something that they hold near and dear it, to them. Is number two singing the rain? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, so it, it's fascinating that that... That that region loves mm -hmm. that show so much, and you could feel it when we were on stage. That's you could cool. feel that this show is beloved by by this audience. It's always neat to do a show uh, in an area that especially appreciates it. I've heard it from friends who are on the Book of Mormon tour when they go through Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. uh, I have some friends doing that uh, the Office off Broadway, and they're doing a little tour through Scranton now, <laughs> and like everyone's a buzz. So I'm sure it's a similar phenomenon. Yeah. Maybe the sun. Gave me the power, for I could swim up alone and be home in half an hour. Maybe the air gave me the drive, for I'm all aglow and alive. What a day this has been, what a rare mood I'm in, why it's almost like being in love. Trained, accredited, and experienced 
high school music teacher? Well, I taught elementary school. I elementary, was, okay. I, you know, I had hoped to be a high school teacher, but there were no high school jobs open in Kansas mm -hmm. the year that I graduated, and so I got this elementary school job, which I, I truly did love. The only, the only age level I said I would never teach was middle school, because there are a few people who have those gifts mm -hmm. to teach middle school, and I am not one of them. Um, but I did teach elementary school for one school year after I graduated before I tried to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, it was a really important part of my life that then has, has helped me as a musician, as a performer, um, ever since. As someone who's trained, you know, as a musician who's trained to teach people to become musicians, do you find that it's you know, easy to jump into you know, 29 hour readings and other things where they have a, a quick turnaround? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I have gotten I know that I have gotten jobs for that reason because mm -hmm. music directors that I've worked with know that I can pick stuff up fast. That's what my major was. Mm -hmm. and, um, and also, I know that I would have not gotten my Broadway debut, Les Mis. When I went to the final callback, they handed me 40 pages of sides, yeah. and I had a half an hour to <laughs> learn it. And so I frantically found a piano in mm -hmm. another studio and taught myself these 40 pages of sides. And if I hadn't gone to college for it, there's no way I would have learned that material. Right. It is fascinating that so many people in our industry mm -hmm. don't read music. And mm -hmm. I do, you know, I actually um, just yesterday was helping a good friend of mine read through some music and, and figure out what, what is this rhythm. You know, it's not a requirement in this day and age mm -hmm. anymore by any means, but um, it has certainly helped me. I will mm -hmm. say. It, will, it has certainly helped me, and I would encourage anybody who's looking to go into this field to learn how to read music because I think it is advantageous. One of my favorite videos uh, of a performance I think I've ever seen was at a, a was it a hometown concert? Oh, yeah, yes. Um, yeah. It was you uh, singing opposite your lovely wife, Nikki, who's uh, starring in uh, Hamilton in Chicago right now. Yes. And I saw her on Broadway twice in Book of Mormon. Um, so it was the two of you, plus your brother, yeah. plus your dad, Plus your grandfather, grandfather. Uh, singing the Lida Rose Quartet and Counterpoint. Tell me about this because it's, it's well, just fascinating for me. Those are those are my roots. I grew up singing barbershop because my my I'm a fourth generation barbershop singer. I love, love, love Barbershop. That is... One second. I don't go anywhere Wait, without my what? master key. You have your pitch pipe on you. I do. My, my great-grandfather was the first of the singing cravies, and he did it just as, you know, a hobby, and mm -hmm. as did my, my grandfather and, and my dad, but, but then with each generation, like my dad's quartet started, um, they, did a, they did really well at competition, mm -hmm. and... Dad's quartet did the Music Man multiple times, and yeah. actually, my very first professional job, uh, Dad's quartet was auditioning for the Music Man at Starlight Theater in Kansas City, okay. uh, which is only about an hour away from Topeka, where I grew up. And Dad said, "Why don't you come and audition with me?" And there were five hundred kids at the cattle call <laughs> for for the Music Man, and in terms of talent, I swear to God, I was probably number four ninety nine, <laughs> and I blew the audition. I knew that I had blown it. Because I'd never taken a dance lesson, and these kids were amazing, mm -hmm. and I was terrible, and I cried all the way home, and I said, Dad, I'm never going to make my, a fool out of myself in an audition again. I want to start taking dance, you know, tap, jazz, ballet, and that, was, that audition inspired me to start learning about this craft, 
Um, but I found out a week later that I got the show and that I was going to get to do it with my dad. It was amazing. And that show is what put me on this, on this course. I found out my senior year of high school that the reason I got the job was because dad said, yeah, uh, our quartet will do it if you cast my son. So I got my first professional job due to nepotism. Hey. But I'll take it. I'll take it anyway. I'll still take it. I don't care. <laughs> so being from Topeka, there's a certain idea, especially today, of who is from these red states. Mm. And especially, you know, when you see a nice, uh, polite, slightly ginger, you know, <laughs> guy. You, know, it, it's, you, you seem like a Kansas person, but in yeah. all of the best ways. How do you um, explain the phenomenon of coming from a place like the breadbasket of the United States with people who probably looked a lot like yourself and coming out a sensitive, empathetic gentleman who is now raising a beautiful biracial family. Oh, um, you know, my family raised me to, to love. I think, you know, we, we certainly, church was a huge part of our, our life, but the the most important aspect of it is is always been to to care about others. You know sure. that that's what I that's what I learned from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. You know I think about my graduating high school class growing up all through elementary school and middle school. I think we had two African American people in my in my class. But it was never something that um, I don't know. It was never something I even really thought about. I had a, a huge culture shock when I first moved to New York. And I definitely believed different things when I first moved to the city, and it, and it, I think the perspective of the big city changed all that for me. I'm not saying that my perspective is superior now than what I believed before, but it is different. It changed mm -hmm. me. Yeah. And so um, I may disagree politically with people back home, um, but I always try to remind close friends here mm -hmm. when we are bashing on those people that don't believe the way we do, that that's where I came from. Yeah. And, and that's how I believed. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make me a bad person. No. Do you find uh, yourself drawn to more classic musical theater material because of that kind of more traditional background? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I think m my voice probably fits more uh, classic music theater mm -hmm. a little bit better just because my training was maybe fits that genre a little bit more. When I have to audition for contemporary musical theater, I have to I have to think more, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh what do I what do I do for this audition to make my voice sound more that part? But But you know you're a standby right now for Santino and Tootsie. That's yeah. a, a very contemporary it piece. Is. You're lucky when your job is to watch a show that you like. And uh -huh. I feel very fortunate that I really do like this show yeah. very much. David Yasbeck and Robert Horn created something really magnificent and mm -hmm. very funny. So if you're going to watch the show over and over and over, it's yeah. good that you get to laugh. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Any Broadway show I've done, I feel like you have had an, I've had an opportunity to learn from people. And what I feel like I've learned already from this experience is watching Santino navigate all of the requests of him. He's, you know, people ask so much of him all the time. Mm -hmm. and he just gives and gives. And somehow, he's able to still be at work and do an amazing job. This is my third time understudying him. Oh, really? The first time I was uh, a standby for him in Sunny in the Park with George. Uh -huh. And then I was his understudy in Billy Elliot. And now here we are. So um, it's been 
11 years that I've been understudying him. <laughs> in what, I'm, I know this job. I'm good at this job. Well, I mean, speaking of uh, him being generous with his time, I have to thank you for being generous with oh, yours. Please yeah. make your way to the marquee uh, to see Tootsie, especially if Jeff is on. Yeah. Um, uh, do you have any... Are you allowed to say if you have No, you know what? He doesn't have anything planned as okay. of now, so you never know. It's like, it's like roulette. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll get... The Tony Award winner, or maybe you'll be stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be stuck with you any day. Ah, uh, thank you, Jeff, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Such a pleasure. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.